You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to Real Presence Live. My name is Tim Moser, coming at you from the Fargo Studios downtown here, looking through the window at Eli, a great young man who makes the show run so smoothly. Appreciate your help there, Eli. Thanks. A lot of people around the office. The place was buzzing today. I love it. I love it. Well, I'd like to thank Aaron and Emily Lofi. They were on our first half hour talking about the Sacred Heart, the enthronement of the Sacred Heart into their home, and the wonderful things it has done for them and their family. Thanks again, Aaron and Emily, for providing that witness, and may God continue to bless you and your family. Well, as some of you may know, some of you may not, I coached volleyball at the college level for almost 30 years. I guess over 30 years as an assistant when I, come, when I think about it. And I coached women all those years, and I've seen a lot of changes in that time, a lot of changes in our culture. And you might think, how, how does this parallel with, with church teaching? Well, let, let me lay a little story on you. March 2020, just a few months ago, I don't know if you knew this or not, Eli, the state of Idaho passed this. They said, if you want to participate as a girl in high school sports, you need to be a biological female. They passed that as a law. You might be saying, Tim, why in the world did they have to pass that as a law? That's our first question, right? Well, in 2017, the state of Connecticut allowed boys who self-identify as girls to play girls' sports. As a result, 12 state track championships are held by two males who self-identify as females. And those, those records have previously been held by nine separate females. So just this spring, three high school uh, tracksters and their parents, they filed a suit saying, hey, you know what? We don't think this is right. And then Idaho passed this. So you have Connecticut, we have Idaho. My point is this. What we're seeing in our society today is people self-identifying objective truths. See, I really believe that moral relativism, we all know about moral relativism, but I believe it's, it's morphed and, and has heavily influenced what I, not, what I like to call, I've never heard this before, biological relativism. Now, moral relativism, you can say, okay, I, I can see how that could kind of work, right? They're concepts, right? And you have to kind of have examples and see, okay. But for decades, for centuries, for millennia, what's the first question we ask when someone has a baby? Is it a boy or a girl? It's an objective fact. And see, the difficulty is when we start saying that we can self-identify something that's contrary to objective fact, well, we have a real problem. If I'm a math teacher. If I were to tell my students 2 plus 2 is 5, they'd say, I don't think so. I said, no, it is. I'm saying it is. In this room, inside these four walls, 2 plus 2 is 5. They go home and tell their folks, and I probably wouldn't have a job very long, right? So what I want to talk about today, this is a segment called the contraception deception or the contraception connection. Number one, contraception is deceptive. What is a promise? What was, what was the promise? Well, it could be spontaneous, free love. You know, th- th- there'd be fewer unwanted pregnancies, all these kind of things. What we've seen, of course, is exactly the opposite has happened. And so that's the deception, the connection contraception, and again, I can't do all this today, but just let me tell you, there are strong connections to it for life, for marriage, and for gender. Those three in particular 
And I'm going to talk a little bit, continue a little about the gender this morning. I'm going to kind of work my way backwards, okay? Because gender is what's happening right now. The Bostock um, the, 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 a situation that just came down from the Supreme Court. Basically, it says sex and sexual uh, identity, gender identity and sexual orientation are the same. In other words, allowing in certain instances for people to self-identify. Well, again, that has taken an objective fact and saying I can self-identify away from that. And that, that, that's going to cause problems. Getting back to the sports for, for a, a minute, great sports teams like Martina Navratilova, for instance. She is against having biological males be able to compete as females. She and others clearly say two or three facts that we all know that are so true. Biologically, we are different. Males generally tend to be stronger, faster, you know, physically. And women, by and large, right, cannot compete at that same level. There's one or two, you know, that, that, that can, you know, there's a Serena Williams that comes to mind, right? But by and large, th- this is true. It's an objective fact. We're not being discriminatory. We're just looking at the truth. And so what Martina Navratilova says and others say, it's unfair to biological girls and women to have them competing against biological men. I, mean, I, I, I tend to agree with that. I think a lot of people would. But one person in, in this Idaho decision I talked about, they said, don't you want people to be safe? Don't you want all people to have opportunities? I mean, this person was against that decision. And yet, when you really look at it, it does hurt women. It does hurt girls. So the bottom line is this moral relativism is now morphed into biological relativism. But it didn't just start yesterday. It started before. So I want to talk about three things today. I want to talk about nature, natural law, and freedom and truth. So I'll talk about a couple of them here before. So I want to start off with nature first. Okay? Nature, the nature of something, what it is, right? We look at the nature. Great example today, right? Coronavirus. What? We're spending billions of dollars, billions, all over the world in a race for a vaccine, in a race for treatments, right? I mean, and rightfully so. I mean, it's hurting people. We need to do this. But why? We study the nature of this virus. How can we defeat the virus? How does it act? Do we wear masks? Do we social distance? What about a vaccine? Are there other things we have on the market right now? Uh, that steroid, remdesivir, right, that, that can seem to help the symptoms, right? We do all this. Why? To help people. We understand the nature of people, the nature of the virus, and we do all we can to help. Great. That's awesome. We see this great thing. But do we really understand the nature of the human person? That is the key, right? When we act in accord with the nature, that's when we have the most success. Again, understanding the coronavirus, getting a vaccine, whatever it is, getting treatments, you know, appropriate uh, acting, whatever it is, and there we go. So the key, it comes down to this then. Let's talk about the human person. What's the nature of the human person? Imagine you were an alien, Eli, and you're looking down, come down to, you're not an alien, of course. I do see antennas, though. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But... But say that you were to come down to Earth. What would you see? Well, you'd see a whole bunch of things, right? You'd see animals, all these kind of things. And, and then you'd see these, these buildings and these little things moving around with, with beings in them called cars. And then, then you'd look at these beings a little more carefully. So, well, clearly these beings are much more advanced than, than the other things. What, what, and you'd, you'd notice people of all shapes and colors and sizes. But one thing you notice is, you know what? They're either male or female. Yeah, that's that's the distinction. And after you watch long enough, you'd figure out there's a special way that male and female come together 
to propagate the species. Isn't that interesting? And it has to be a male and a female. They have to cooperate in some way. That's the nature of the human person. Now you might say, well, science says this and that, and you can do it in a petri dish. Okay. But the question comes then, is that upholding and within the nature and dignity of the human person? Now, we can know a lot of these things without even bringing God into the situation. For instance, we knew all that, that there's male, there's female, that they come together. We know all that without bringing God into the picture. But here's what contraception has done in a nutshell. It, has, it seeks, although well-intentioned people use it and they don't mean it this way, what it does is it basically attempts to eliminate the distinction between male and female. How does it do that? Well, as male and female, all right, called to be, to be fruitful and multiply, again, that's the way we, we can procreate. What contraception does is a willful act to separate the life-giving component from the love component, from the, the life and love. We've talked about that a zillion times on this show, right? And what it, what it basically says is, I now, man, male and female, we are in control. I am in control of what the sexual act means. And this is what it comes down to. Are we going to determine and define the truth of the human person? Or are we going to discover and discern? You see, for instance, my wife and I, we have 25 tomato plants at our place. We love tomatoes, but we probably have too many. Okay, matter of fact, my wife just gave some away last week, which was awesome, right? They're burying tomatoes. These people are going, oh my goodness, thanks for the tomatoes. But we understand the nature of tomatoes. If I were to say, honey, we're not going to water these tomatoes. Nope, no water. Well, in a couple days, they'd be dead. I cannot self-define the nature of this tomato, can I? I have to act in accord with its nature in order for it to flourish. So the question becomes, we do have human freedom, but are there limits to that freedom? For instance, and this is the question, does human, do human beings have the freedom to determine and define the meaning of the sexual act, the meaning of marriage, and the meaning of gender? Or is this something that is preordained by some power other than ourselves that we need to discern and discover and follow if we want to flourish? That's like water to the tomato plant. Now, I, I, I give you that many people were well-intentioned with contraception. But as I'm going to show you as we go through, it goes against the nature of the human person. And if we bring faith into it now at this point, here's how it works. If you're a believer, then you say, well, we're made in the image and likeness of God. God's love is life-giving, right? He's an eternal exchange of love. What's the Trinity, right? Go to, go to the creed, go, go, go to the catechism. It's an eternal exchange of love, right? Father, son, loving each other, right? Uh, back and forth, and then it, it, the, the spirit proceeds from that. Just like husband, wife, and child. The third is the child. And we're called to love. It's a life-giving love. And when we hold ourselves back in some way, that life-giving component is not a true reflection of God. See, this act is meant to be an image of God. The act, Eli, has objective meaning. Sports. Okay, I've used this analogy before, but if I rotate my hands like this, what does that mean? It means traveling in basketball. It means illegal procedure in football. It means substitution in volleyball. But the key is, I cannot change the meaning of that sign, can I? When someone sees the sign, and you know what it means? Red light, green light. <laughs> Romeo's getting it, right? We have a red light, green light. He says, stop, green light, go. 
What yellow light? I love it. He says, slow down. (laughs) He gets it. That has objective meaning. If we were to try to change the objective meaning of that sign, there'd be chaos. So my thesis is this. The human person, the sexual act has objective meaning. And when we try to change its meaning, chaos ensues. So that's nature. I've got about a minute left. I'm going to take a little break. I just want to quickly introduce to you something you can think about over the break. Natural law. So natural law is something written upon our hearts. Everyone has it. Everyone, every person, whether you're a believer in God or not. And I'm just going to lay Romans 2 on you here and let you think about it over the break. This is what Romans, this is what Paul says when he's writing to the Romans. He said, it is not the hearers of the law who will be justified, but those who observe and do the law, they'll be justified. So not just hearing it, but how we live. Paul continues, For when the Gentiles, who do not have the law, by nature observe the prescriptions of the law, their law for themselves, even though they don't have the law. In other words, he's saying, look, the Gentiles, they don't believe in God. But when they observe that natural law imprinted upon their heart, that's it. They have the law. He finishes by saying this, The Gentiles show that the demands of the law are written on their hearts. That's it. The demands of the law are written upon our hearts. If we seek deeply enough, if we sit in the quiet, we get that even without God, we know that there's something more there. And then, of course, when our faith informs our reason, then we get it even better. So think about that over the break. Every single person has imprinted upon them the natural law, what it means to be a human being, who I am and how should I live. But we're so busy and so noisy and so busy making our own rules and making money and doing all these things that... We don't hear that voice sometimes. Think about that over the break. You're listening to Real Presence Live, and we'll be back right after this. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. The world is changing fast and needs problem solvers and critical thinkers. Right here in your backyard, Not Marty believes every student has the potential to serve the world and make a difference. We will help you obtain a degree that prepares you for success by exploring your talents and passion. Our community goes above and beyond to help each student feel at home, surrounded by love and support. We can't wait for you to see what's possible, and we hope the future brings you here, close to home, at mountmarty.edu. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, the Director of Advancements for Real Presence Radio with today's Plan Giving Minute. Philanthropy is an expression of your generosity with the understanding that your gift to the church will make a difference. There are many ways in which you can make a gift to further God's work. Most of us are familiar with cash gifts we give regularly to Real Presence Radio. However, another way of contributing is through Plan Giving, which may allow you to give more than you've ever dreamed possible. The goal of plan giving is to help you plan your estate and charitable giving in a way that benefits you, your family, and our mission. There are several ways you can make these plan gifts and enjoy tax and income benefits. For more information, please visit our plan giving website at rprlegacy.org or call me at 701-290-4503. Let's get started. The Mustard Seed Catholic Store is South Dakota's place to purchase Catholic books, gifts, and decor. With locations in Rapid City and Sioux Falls, we are here to provide you with gifts for the Catholic occasions in your life. 
From baptism to First Communion, confirmation to weddings and ordinations, we pride ourselves in having local artists share their creative talents, making rosaries, crucifixes, artwork, coffee, and books. We are located in Rapid City on Main Street in the new Diocesan Building or in Sioux Falls on Grange Avenue across from Costco. This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Real Presence Live show. I almost said something different there. <laughs> My name is Tim Mosey, your host today. Thank you, Life, for producing. And we see, oh, yes, I see our next guests are coming. That's us. We have the Deacon's Gym, by the way, coming up at the top of the hour. So make sure you stay tuned for that. We're talking about the contraception deception, the contraception connection, writing my doctoral thesis on, dissertation on this, I should say. And uh, I'm just finding out some amazing things. I'm talking about three things today, nature, natural law, freedom, and truth. We talked about the nature. Do we really understand the nature of the human person as made in the image and likeness of God? And the contraceptive mentality, as Pope John Paul II says, clearly excludes that, that the clear nature of what's going on. Again, many well-intentioned people will do this. Before the break, I talked about natural law. I went into that and talked about Romans 2, how it talks about how the Gentiles, even though they don't have the law, don't believe in God, they still have this natural law written upon their hearts. Jeremiah talks about in Jeremiah 31, right? I'll put a new covenant on your heart. It will not be like the ones your fathers broke when I brought them out of Egypt. I'll write it upon their hearts. I will be their God, you will be the people, and you'll no longer need anyone to teach you. It's on your heart. Catechism 1776 talks about this, and of course it's quoting from Gaudium et Spes 16, and Pope John Paul II talks about it in Veritatis Splendor as well. In the depths of his own heart, man detects a law he has not laid upon himself, but which he must obey. Do good, avoid evil. Man has in his heart a law inscribed by God. So here's the idea behind natural law. If you want to sum it up, right, St. Thomas Aquinas, you know, simply put, do good, avoid evil. But what is good? What is evil? Again, back to my question. Do we define and determine what is good and evil, like Adam and Eve wanted to do with the tree of knowledge and good and evil? Or do we discover and discern that law that God has put there? Contraception was a grasp, a well-intentioned grasp by some people. But it was saying that we are going to be God. We are going to control what this means. And if we control what the sexual act means, once we have one sterilized sexual act, then there's really no moral or logical basis to exclude others. And that's why we've seen contraception for married people, contraception for unmarried people. We've seen abortion be the law of the land. We've seen homosexual acts uh, okayed by the Supreme Court. We've seen uh, same-sex marriage okayed by the Supreme Court. And now with Bostock just a few weeks ago, we've seen you can self-determine now, self-identify your gender identity. I identify as this, and we have to treat you that way in certain situations. But believe me, it's going to... I mean, already there are calls you know, to expand... The, the, the situations where you can self-identify, right? So do you see this process? But it starts with me saying, I can determine and define what this act means. That's natural law. Let's go to freedom and truth. We all want to be free. We talk about freedom all the time, right? In, in our, especially in our, our day and age, right? Let me give you a little example about Romeo. Okay, our son Romeo, we adopted him in November. He's three. He had no palate. And he got that put in about a year ago, but he has taken nothing by mouth, been tube-fed all his life. My wife, the reason she can't be here today is she is at the feeding clinic right now. This is the end of our second week. They were desensitizing his lips, his teeth, his tongue. And we were doing some at home, but it's amazing what they did there. Long story short, it is a miracle what's going on. He is eating. 
small spoonfuls. We feed it to him, but he's eating. Quite honestly, I'll be honest with you, I never thought that would happen this quickly. Prayed for it many, many, my wife would say, what are you doing in the morning? I, I wake up in the morning and I said, I'm just praying. And things I pray for specifically for Romeo, number one, of course, to be a holy, saintly boy, right? Number two, that these things, his, his speech, his, his eating, all these things that God would take care of him. And this is a prayer answered. It's amazing. But freedom and truth. See, Romeo, he has to freely embrace the fact that he wants to eat. I cannot force him to eat. But what I do is I try to say, look at the freedom you'll have if you live in the truth. What's the human body meant for? The human body's meant to take in nourishment, especially through the mouth, if at all possible, right? And when he understands that truth and sees that truth and lives in that truth, he is free. And a lot of you are probably thinking, oh yeah, John eight thirty two, Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Yeah, that's true. Anyone know what John eight thirty one is? What's the verse right before that? Jesus says this. Jesus says to the Jews who believed in him. Notice, Jesus is not talking to people who don't believe in him. He's talking to those who believe in him. And he says, if you remain in my word, you will truly be my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So what's he saying? Even if you believe in me, you need to remain in my truth and know the truth and live in this truth and that will set you free. Of course, then they go on to talk about Abraham. There's a big long discussion, right? We're children of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anyone. Jesus says, amen, amen, I say to you. By the way, Romeo says that too. Amen, amen, I say to you. (laughs) It's so funny. Everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin, he says. That's at the beginning of the discussion of Abraham. At the very end, about 30 verses later, at the end of chapter 8, Jesus ends by saying, Amen, amen, I say to you, before Abraham was, because they're talking about Abraham all the time, before Abraham was, I am. What's he basically saying? I supersede the law. Everything you've heard, I'm fulfilling. And this is a new explanation of it. And I am fulfilling it. And what do they do? They go, oh, thank you, Lord. No, they picked up stones to stone him. Hard hearts. Even on those who believed in him. Because they don't see the connection between freedom and truth. Pope John Paul II wrote about this. In Redemptor, Redemptor Hominus, for instance, his first encyclical, he wrote this. He, he loved quoting John eight thirty two. by the way. He, he quoted that. You know the truth and the truth will set you free. He, he, then he added this. He says, A fundamental requirement of an honest relationship in regard to truth as a condition of authentic freedom. In other words, we have to live in the truth to be authentically free. Let's look at a train, Eli. Is a train free when it's off the tracks? No, it can't move. Is a fish free when it's out of water? No. Am I expressing my freedom if I jump off a five-story building and say, I don't want to, this gravity is just too restricting? No. It demonstrates it. Veritatis Splendor, 1993. Listen to what John Paul II says here. We wrote an Evangelium Vitae, too, a couple years later. Freedom negates and destroys itself. Notice, it negates itself and destroys freedom when out of a desire to emancipate itself, to free itself from all forms of tradition and authority, which contraception tried to do, when this freedom shuts out even the most obvious evidence of an objective and universal truth. We could kind of see with contraception, but I'm going to go back to gender. I'm going backwards. The objective truth of male and female, parts of our society want to shut that out. It's clear, objective evidence of a universal and objective truth. But it built starting much earlier. I'm going to give you a couple examples. I've got a couple minutes left. How has this affected our, our courts, for instance? I'm going to talk about two cases. I've already talked about Bostock some. I want to talk about uh, Pennsylvania versus Casey. 
Okay, this is a 1992 case. A 1992 case, 20 years after Roe versus Wade. Many of you are familiar with the, uh, the quote that talks about how for 20 years people have expected to have abortions should their contraception fail, right? In other words, since we have contraception, we need abortion. I'm not going to talk about that too much right now, although you see what happened. The right, quote-unquote, to define the meaning of the sexual act now not only gave us the right, but we need the right. It makes it imperative that we have the, quote-unquote, right now to define who lives and who dies. You see? It's come to that. But here's a quote that not so many people know. This is also from Casey. Notice what it talks about with truth and defining truth. And they use the word define. It says this. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one owns concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of life. Notice, Eli, we don't discover and discern. We define, because of our liberty, we define the meaning of the mystery of human life, the meaning of the universe, the meaning of existence. Wait a minute. We're making ourselves God. Who said that? The Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court, there were many decisions before that and many decisions after that. That I'll get to in later shows that show how this was building. But that's such a great statement because what does it show? That our Supreme Court itself says we have the right, at the heart of liberty, to define who we are, the meaning of our human existence. You see? Define. Again, get this distinction. Do we define and determine? In other words, make it for ourselves. We saying what it means. Or do we discover and discern like we did with the coronavirus? Some people want to will coronavirus away. I've had it. You've had it, Eli. I couldn't define it away. Could you? No. We had to deal with the reality. We had to live within it, discover and discern the truth. And how can we best get ourselves better? That's what we need to do with this. Casey quotes Eisenstadt to her says this. Now, this is a 1972 case. I want to show you how this, is, this was 20 years before. I want to show you how this stare decisis, how they'd use previous judgments to formulate their current ones. So the case he said this. It quoted, the fundamental right to abortion, notice a fundamental right to abortion now, is grounded in the 14th Amendment. And then it quotes uh, Eisenstadt saying, if the right to privacy means anything, right to privacy was established in Griswold in 65, right to privacy means anything, it's the right of an individual, married or single, because what Eisenstadt did is made contraception legal for single couples now, but still man and woman. Married or single to be free from unwarranted governmental intrusion into matters so fundamental as affecting a person's decision as to whether or not they bear or beget a child. Notice, beget a child, that's contraception, but bear a child? It's talking about abortion. So what's happening? What's the, what's the remedy? I got three-point remedy. Number one, man is the only creature willed for his own sake, can't find himself except for a free gift. He needs to make a free gift of himself. He needs to discover and discern God's truth. Finally, I'll end with this. If you want to go to two paragraphs in the Catechism, I'm basing my dissertation on this. 2370. The difference between NFP and contraception in the final analysis involves two irreconcilable concepts of the human person. They cannot be rectified. Is the person going to discover and discern truth? Or are they going to define and determine the truth as it relates to our sexuality? Finally, 2371 says, the true evaluation of human life and transmitting can only be understood in reference to our eternal destiny. Well, there it is. The nature of the human person, image and likeness of God, natural law, we need it on our hearts, we need to live it, and freedom and truth. There is no real freedom without living in the truth. And there we go.
That's the first installment. I look forward to sharing more with you in subsequent ones. When we come back at the top of the hour, we have Deacon's Gym. Two local deacons going to be talking about their work with the elderly and the needy. You're listening to Real Presence Live, and we'll be back right after this. 